let's just get over this. Not health and safety isn't why people go to the office. There's a whole set of other reasons. And I think people knew it. But I also think a lot of CEOs were frustrated because they knew the same people who said, I don't want to go to the office because it's not safe. We're doing all these other things. I'm pleased to introduce Mark Ein to the Office Space podcast. Mark is the chairman of Castle Systems, the largest managed commercial real estate security provider in America. They have direct data from their customers in more than 2,600 buildings in 138 U.S. cities. So truly a great authority on the return to office metrics. Mark, it's good to have you on the program. Uh, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be with you. So let's start off with your back-to-work barometer. It's something that we in the commercial real estate industry look at every time it's published and really find value in that. Can you talk about what it tracks and how it's compiled? Yeah. So as you mentioned, Castle's the biggest provider of managed security in the commercial and real estate industry. And so we have the biggest data source of people swiping in and out of buildings And frankly, while we've always provided this to our customers on a building basis, we never really focused on the aggregate data. But shortly after COVID came and people had a sense that people weren't going back to the office, we realized that we had the best data source and compiled it and started sharing it selectively. And people found great value in it and there was a ton of interest in it. And so we started publishing the Castle Back to Work Barometer. The reality is for the first many works months, it was the castle not to work barometer, but it fortunately has been now back to work. It's been fascinating. And so the barometer measures the amount of people come to the office relative to the amount that were coming pre-COVID. So it's not real office utilization, which when you talk to people, people generally think it's about 65% traditionally was the utilization of offices. 65% of the people would come in at any time. But right now we're at 43% of national average. That's 43% of the 100% that would be 65%. And it's been fascinating to see, just obviously it affects the commercial real estate industry, but we know that mayors and public sector officials are interested in seeing this because there's a real impact on urban ecosystems. We know restaurant chains and retail chains look at it who have big presence in downtown areas as a predictor of how their business is going to do. And I think for everyone who spends time in commercial real estate, we recognize that real estate is at the core of an ecosystem that's much bigger than just itself. And the data is one of those things that proves it. Yeah. And what what sort of trends are you seeing from this? And, you know, looking back kind of pre-COVID, you know, you had mentioned it was the not, not to back to work barometer, so to speak. I know I've seen some where, you know, it's been pretty much the same for a number of months. And then as we saw a big bump kind of at the turn of the year, is that nationally or are you seeing regional differences? Yeah. So there's been a number of incredibly interesting insights from this data over the last two years. So Let's start with the regional differences, which is something that you mentioned, is that we track Castle. We're in 47 states and 12 foreign countries, but we only publish the markets where we have, according to data scientists, a statistically significant sample that represents what's going on in that market. So we pick 10 markets where that is the case. And we've published since the beginning this on a regional basis as well as national. And one of the fascinating things is that regional differences have been consistent since the very beginning. And the lines go up and down, but they go up and down in unison. They almost never cross. There's one exception I'll come back to where uh, a market has changed, and that's New York. 
which at the beginning was at the very low end, because if we remember, New York was really the first big city hit the hardest. And so the city basically went into total lockdown. It was at the bottom. And now we all read about many of the leading firms and banking and financial services want their people back. And so that's actually the one market that's crossed from kind of the bottom to the middle. The rest of them have been consistent. And what you see is, for instance, the Texas markets have consistently been meaningfully above the national average. Northern California markets have been below the national average. And then markets like Chicago and Washington and Philadelphia have been much more consistent in the middle. And New York's kind of gone from bottom to the middle. And we've thought a lot about it and studied this. And we think there's a number of factors that account for this. The first is just community mindset. How are people in that community thinking about getting back to what was pre-COVID life? And that is a community mindset. It's a business mindset. And then it impacts how public sector leaders impose regulations. And so it's no secret that in Texas, they generally have had a more, we need to get back to regular life sooner than others. And so they've been at the top. Other markets like New York and San Francisco have been more conservative and been in tighter lockdowns, more restrictions. So they've been they've been at they've been at the lower end. We also believe there's a real correlation, especially when there's a lot of COVID around with the dependency on mass transportation. So the more that or public transportation, the more that people get to work in public transportation, the less they are to want to get on that when there's a lot of COVID around. Meanwhile, in the Texas markets where people generally commute by car and you're just with yourself or your family or someone you know, those have been higher. And then just industry composition. So in Northern California, obviously the preponderance of tech companies, they were prepared before COVID even hit us for remote work. It was something they had the infrastructure for. So they were more prepared for that. And then interestingly, I mentioned the impact in New York, which originally was at the low end and has now gone higher. And part of that is financial services where people have said, you know, we want our people back. And so industry composition is it makes a difference, too. So that's sort of a summary of these really interesting regional differences you've seen over the last two years. Yeah, that's interesting. And if you look at the number one complaint on getting employees back into the office, it's the commute, right? So regardless of whether or not it's not just about safety, really, it's also just about the length of the commute. You know, having some spent some time in Texas recently, in Atlanta, for example, those commutes are getting worse and worse. Those are driving cities, like you said, and they may have more people back in the office, but, you know, I don't think they're happy with, with the drive time that they're taking to get into them. Yeah, I mean, that's a whole super interesting subject that hopefully we get into is sort of the pros and cons of remote work versus office work. Obviously, for employees, there's a set of benefits that come from remote work. Probably at the top of the list is avoiding a commute. But then there's a whole set of trade-offs that I think a lot of executives feel, which is that they don't feel like their companies are performing at the same level when people aren't together as often. And, you know, it's up until recently the employees writ large have been winning that battle because it's been such a tight labor market. And frankly, with the economy going as strong as it was, there was a big margin for error in companies' performance. Now, as it looks like the labor market might not be as tight as the challenges facing businesses are greater, we think you're going to see a meaningful shift 
to having people come back, if not all the time, but at least some of the time, because that's what business leaders want. They feel they need and they feel like their companies just aren't performing at the same level. And now they're going to probably be able to be a bit stronger about insisting that people do come back. I agree wholeheartedly. And part of that is, you know, people looking over their shoulder and seeing what the next person's doing. I mean, I get asked a lot, you know, representing corporations, what are other people doing? And, you know, the short answer, it varies, right? Upon industry, how strong the leader is going to be and where they're located, things like that. I think, you know, Elon Musk just announced the, the 40 hours you're coming back in. Fairly controversial. He's a controversial guy. But I think you have people like him speaking that. And like you said, with the economy either in a recession or going towards a recession, favoring a little bit more of the employer versus the employee. I agree. I think they'll be a little bit more enticed to come back as opposed to feeling emboldened to work from home, which works for some people. But I would say a majority of the C-level people I talk to feel they're not being as productive as they could be. Exactly. And and two things. One, you know, the interesting thing about work from home is working from home, you're, you're not going to fail as a company because of that. You're just not going to be quite as good. And I think everyone recognizes it's just not it's just not quite as good. You're not spending the same amount of time doing deep dives on the hardest problems for long periods of time. That oftentimes it takes longer to get people together because people are off doing their own thing as opposed to just let's go in the office or the conference room. And so yeah, business leaders have known this and felt that they just really have had a hard time imposing it. And to your point, there is a really meaningful impact of what other people and companies are doing. A, because that's human nature, and two, the labor market thing. If people see other businesses allowing work from home, it's harder for the ones who want people back to, to, to say, I want you back. If it changes, it could change very fast. And one of the overall things that we've observed over the last two years is just all of these things change way faster than you think. And what you think one day changes radically based upon the amount of COVID, what other people are doing. And I think this is going to change quickly. And look, there were a lot of companies and business leaders saying they wanted people back in a variety of industries. It was obviously Goldman and JP Morgan and Morgan Stanley, but so did Apple Computer. So does the people in the White House. But then when Elon Musk says it and says it publicly, that has a big impact. And I think you could see the snowball reversing here exactly for all those reasons you mentioned. You know, you talk about safety and, you know, when, when we're talking about safety with our clients, it's predominantly around cleanliness and uh, around the pandemic. But in a city like Chicago, where safety is really walking out the office uh, late at night and being worried about security, frankly, I'm kind of surprised it hasn't come up more. Recently, I've been having discussions with companies where they're saying, you know, it has to be in a, a you know, a secure turnstile building multi-tenant office building. But are you seeing, you know, the, the the physical safety becoming more important, especially in light of everything that's going on in the world right now? Yeah, so for sure we are. And we're having a lot of conversations with our clients who did not have things like turnstiles or things like mobile credentials, really interested in that. And I'd say, you know, more broadly and and actually predating COVID, it, what happened sort of in, it was happening for about a year before COVID hit is that people in real estate finally realized that people want the same tech enabled experience where they live and work as they want in all other parts of their life. And so 
for instance, at Castle, we've always leaned into innovation and spent $100 million on our tech. If Until three or four years ago, it, you know, we had a bunch of customers who were really interested and would invest in it with us, but it was not the norm. It was more focused on cost. And then a few years ago, as people saw that was tech was changing everyone's from getting a cab to the hotel with Airbnb to how you interact with government, it was just inevitable that real estate was a frontier that eventually would would want the same thing. And so that's been going on for a bit of time, even before COVID. And now it's really accelerated. People are interested in how do I how do I adapt the latest technology both to make things, uh, my space is safer, more friendly. How can I make my own building more efficient by having more data about what's going on? So there's a real, there's a whole adoption curve right now and replatforming of the core tech infrastructure and commercial real estate that started pre-COVID and COVID is accelerating. Yeah, it's great to see. I mean, the like you said, I mean, people, the expectations are huge, really, especially if a company is going to pay that kind of, you know, per square foot dollar. And the new buildings are certainly responding to that with all kinds of, you know, technology innovations, whether or not it's just entering the building to, you know, the elevator systems to, you know, the HVACs and all across the board. You know, in Chicago, we're blessed with, we're really an over amenitized market where the buildings will, you know, they'll take over a floor and create innovation centers, Wi-Fi lounges, all kinds of things for the tenants. But that's just kind of table stakes to, you know, compete with the other buildings. Getting the technology, we're starting to see it in the trophy buildings where they're going up. So I'm interested to hear more about what you guys are going to be doing in that. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, there's there's all kinds of things. Tenant amenity apps, which originally were kind of, how do I book a conference room or a spot in the exercise class or a coffee to much more about also how you interact with the building, work orders, visitor management, all those kind of things. A visitor management is an area that anyone who spends time in traveling in buildings in New York has been a long frustration that there should be a better way to do it. And so there's finally a lot of innovation going on there. And then um, and so there's a whole set of things around the tenant experience, booking flex space in buildings, where we actually think that is going to increasingly be another part of commercial real estate, which is not is dedicating some space for spec suites that are available on an annual basis, monthly, weekly, but also daily and hourly, both for the general public and other maybe tenants in the building. So that's it. And then, and then it's also really we're spending a lot of time thinking about how to use the data that our system provides to provide really important insights for the building owner about who's using the space, how they're using it, which helps them thinking about leasing to also utilization that helps them manage expenses and the operations. And as the commercial real estate is more challenged, which we think, you know, there will be some amount of challenge as we go through this period, being more efficient becomes more of an imperative. And so this is all part of the tech infrastructure and platform that Castle has that we're finding completely unprecedented levels of interest in and adoption. Yeah, I bet, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And you guys are capturing all that. You know, speaking of that, I think, you know, with Wednesdays, there seems to be becoming the busiest days 
in the buildings. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I'm, I'm experiencing it from a space planning challenge, right? I, I don't know if you have add-ons, software add-ons where you do any kind of seating software within spaces as part of the, you know, building management, but, you know, there's, there's offerings out there that are becoming more and more important to figure out who's going to be coming in. Cause if you're giving total flexibility to the employee to come in when you want, there's no doubt in my mind it's gonna it's it's gonna all bundle up in the middle of the week. It's already showing that way, and that's gonna be hard on buildings. That's gonna be hard on spaces, and it it, it could be chaotic. Yeah, I think right now both the tenants and the buildings would just be happy to have that problem. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely, right? Absolutely. I mean, what, like that would be a good problem to have. Too many people are coming in and using the space. So at the point we get to that, then I think people will deal with it. But right now they'd be happy to have it. Yeah. Switching gears over to the recreation side, we were talking earlier, you're a big tennis guy. I imagine tennis like golf. You tell me. I mean, you're in you're in the tennis business, so to speak. Is tennis participation up like golf? Same levels? Massively. So tennis had its biggest participation increases since the 70s. So tennis in America in 2020 grew by 21%, which is incredible. Does that mean we're going to be bringing back the Bjorn Board headband and the wooden rackets and all the short shorts? Definitely not bringing back the wooden racket, but the Rafa Nadal, Roger Federer headband may be back at a club near you. And then it grew at another 8% in 2021. So the sport's grown at 30% in two years, which is, I haven't seen anything like it. And it's obviously, it's, a, you know, it's the ultimate socially distant sport. It's perfect. It's a great way to be outside. As you mentioned, it is my passion outside of my day job and have invested heavily in the sport and, and really love it. But it's also great to see uh, so many others rediscovering the sport because it's a sport so many people play as a, in our use and then people drop it and now people are coming back. And then if you add the growth of pickleball to that too, which is really taking America by storm, you know, tennis clubs that, that had for in recent years been somewhat less utilized and more empty are now full all the time. And it's great to see. Yeah. Does there, I mean, it's a stretch. Is there any correlation between the recreation data and the office occupancy data? So, so this is, an, I, we talked about a number of interesting insights. So this was an insight that we had back in December when people were going to the office about in the high 20s utilization relative to pre-COVID levels. And employees are saying, no, it's not safe. We have Omicron or Delta, whatever it was at the time. We don't feel comfortable. So then we started pulling the we started pulling the data on restaurants, open table, close to pre-pandemic levels, airplanes, close to pre-pandemic levels, sports stadiums sold out, movie theaters, Spider-Man had the second biggest movie opening weekend in history in December. So at the same time, people are saying, I don't want to go to the office because it's not safe. They're doing all these other things, which for sure are less safe because they're a bunch of strangers. There's no testing. You don't know who's there and you're closer to them. And so one of the things that we started publishing was this data. And I, we actually wrote an op-ed for Bloomberg saying it's not about health. And, let's just get over it. It's not health and safety isn't why people go to the office. There's a whole set of other reasons. And I think people knew it. But I also think 
a lot of CEOs were frustrated because they knew the same people who said, I don't want to go to the office because it's not safe. We're doing all these other things. And so, so we have made that correlation comparing people interested in or willing to go come back together with other people in close proximity in the office versus other places. And, you know, unfortunately, the office is massively lagging behind all of those other activities where, for the most part, people are back to normal life. Yeah, that's that's great data to capture. So the legal field and the financial field seem to be the ones that came back to the office, you know, most robustly and, and, and quickly. You you track the legal occupancy, correct? Yeah, we do. We do track legal occupancy, yeah. And what, what sort of numbers are you seeing? Once again, are there any regional differences? Do you extrapolate between, you know, kind of the large firms versus the smaller firms? What are you seeing? Yeah, so the it's it's super interesting that law firms have consistently been about 50% higher in terms of returning to the office than just the general population. And in fact, and we one of the things about Castle is we actually serve half of the American law top 100 law firms, so we have a really deep sample size there. And office occupancy is 78% of pre-COVID levels. So it's really high right now. And people are are coming back in law firms. And that's really in the last month, it went from 66% to 78%. So it's clear that law firms are asking people to come back, but they've always been higher. And I think there's a lot of reasons for that. One is there's a whole set of confidential information that people feel more comfortable about in an office. There's a lot of paper and Frankly, most people at home don't have a printer that can print huge documents, and there's still that. And then secondly, it's an industry that is probably no secret is led generally by, I'd say, you know, more tradition, like older people who, you know, like being in an office. And so for all those reasons, law firm occupancy has consistently been higher and is growing and is the one sector where it's starting to get closer to pre-pandemic levels. Okay. And we'll have all of the data linked in the show notes here. So, so wrapping this conversation up, which has been great, what, what do you see as the future of building security and safety, you know, and in timing wise, really assuming, you know, I don't know if you consider this an endemic, we'll be dealing with this for the rest of our, our lives in some form or fashion, you know, what, what are your thoughts on the future here? Yeah. So look, our view is in the new world, that is coming after COVID, building owners are going to make their, for the first time, the office has a competition in the home, right? And so before there never was widely that alternative. So what are we going to, what are building owners and tenants going to do to compete? They're going to make the spaces more fun. They're going to make it a place you want to go with more amenities. They're going to make it a place that is more focused on collaboration because that's the unique thing you can do there. And then they're going to make it safer. So whether it's things like COVID or whatever comes next or whether it's physical security, having it be a place that people feel as safe as they do in their house is going to be a priority. And so Frankly, at Castle, we're trying to we're we're building, have built, and are continuing to build software and other technologies that address all three of those things, making it a place that is a more enjoyable place to be, a place that's more collaborative, a place that's more flexible, and a place that's safer. Safety has always been at the core of what we do, 
And we're really excited because there's a lot of things that we've wanted people to do for a very long time that they just wouldn't, they didn't feel compelled to do to make the office is safer, but also more friction. Ironically, you can make it safer and more frictionless at the same time by adopting technology. So you're going to see a huge adoption of, and we've been doing this for many years, but mobile credentials where you don't have a card or a fob, it's built into your phone. It's easier to turn on and off that way. It comes with all kinds of other benefits. Visitor pro- notification, processing notification, a real pain point for everyone is going to get better and better. You're going to see more actual and then virtual turnstiles where it knows when you come in and out, which has a lot of benefits to it. And then all the other things that we talked about, sensors and all those things to make buildings safer. But it is a really exciting time to be in this industry because there is this whole replatforming again of the tech infrastructure and buildings to go after all of those objectives, which are now huge priorities for anyone who owns a building or anyone who's in charge of a tenant space. And so it's a great time to be in this space. And we're thrilled to sort of be on this journey and and to see what's coming down the road for, for us and for all the people that we serve. Yeah, that's exciting. You know, obviously, I've always been familiar with Castle. And then prior to this podcast, I looked into a little bit. It's amazing how much more there is to your business than than what I originally thought. So this has been really insightful. And I hope the, the listeners find that as well. So thanks a lot for your time. And I hope uh, you have a safe and fun summer. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me. I Lo- love your podcast. It was a pleasure to be on. So thank you.